Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome onto the show today a guest who is very well qualified. He's got a BSc in human nutrition. He's got a postgraduate diploma in nutritional medicine, but he's also a chef. It is none other than Dale Pinnock, who goes by the name of the medicinal chef. Dale, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Dale, I've been familiar with your work for a number of years mm. now. You've you know, you've written how many books now? Is it what, 12, 13? 13 books. 13 yeah. books, okay. Um, and I've always been intrigued by your title, which is that of the medicinal chef. Yes. So I wonder if you could expand as to how you came up with that title and how it's relevant. Well, it's it's a deliberately provocative title, really, because I wanted people to think differently about food. I wanted them to think of it not as just a source of fuel, but as something that could actually be a valid part of the healthcare picture. You know, it has the capacity to make us better and to do us harm. And that's how I wanted people to start thinking about the food that they're eating. So I kind of conjured up that title from that point of view. Really. How old is that title now? Oh, crikey. Um, that was probably about 2002 I came out with that. 2002, so we're yeah. looking at 16 years. So I would, I would also make the case that you were a little bit ahead of your time in many ways because I mean, you... I'm sure, having been mm. in this field for, for, for quite a long time a now, long you've time, seen yeah. that there's a burgeoning interest at the moment. You know, there's yeah. more and more people talking about food as medicine or lifestyle as mm. medicine. Yet you were out there in 2002 coming up with that title, The Medicinal even, yeah. Chef. Even before that, even in the 90s, I was, I was kind of into this in the late 90s as well. And, and back then, it was quite hard to actually find good, healthy food. And if you told people that you were, you know, that you're eating a healthy diet, they'd look at you like you'd just fallen out of the sky. Did it you, was did, a very different environment. Did you ever get any pushback on the title, The Medicinal Chef? I haven't, no. That's the one thing I've, I've not had any kind of pushback I mean yeah you get your people kind of bringing Lily the Pink references in now and again but um, yeah that's all a bit of fun I, I can live with that so you know I'd love to understand your journey I mean when did you start cooking when did you start seeing you know the relationship between cooking food and health was was there a defining moment or is there something you've always been interested in there were there were defining moments I mean I've I've cooked since I was four years old. As soon as me and my sister were old enough to know what a saucepan was, my mum would hoik us into the kitchen and get us involved in preparing the family meal. So I've always cooked, always been familiar with it. And then when I left school, I did every job in the in the catering industry from pot wash through to head chef and running kitchens. So I've always worked in that kind of environment. But in terms of actually linking it to health, that started when I was about 15 years old. From the age of about 10 or 11, I started getting really bad acne. And it was the year of leaving primary school to go up to secondary school, that time in your life when you start to kind of compare yourself 
in relation to your peers and I looked like I'd been shot in the face with a blunderbuss it was awful and I had like all the you know the Dallasins and the um, all the tetra- creams tetracycline and like the oral antibiotics the topical lotions so, so you've been to your doctor you'd, you'd taken all those topical creams yeah, taken to, all the antibiotics the only know. thing I didn't do was Roaccutane I didn't go that far um, just because I knew there was a lot of nasty side effects and nothing really made that much of a difference got to 15 years old sat around our friend's house one night feeling sorry for myself and his mum came out to me and she said look unless you change what's going on on the inside nothing will change on the outside and she linked me this book called fit for life like a proper old school thing you read it now and it's it's pretty it's pretty strange but obviously as a 15 year old boy i was like yeah whatever but i was so desperate at that time that i went home and i read this thing cover to cover in a couple of days and that was where that aha moment kind of clicked in and i realized that we can actively engage in our own healthcare. so so before that moment Let's just rewind back. So as a kid, you and your sister, you're, you're fascinated about cooking. You know, mm. Did that come from you or did that come from your mum saying, right, I'm going to teach you, you need to learn how to cook? That was from my mum, definitely, 100%. And I was always a very enthusiastic eater, so to be able to marry the two together okay. and create the things that I enjoyed eating was uh, I think that's fascinating, particularly as we talk now in society, how you know, one of the things that we've lost is you know, that basic human skill mm. to be able to cook and... You know, it, it's such a common thing that people are talking about. You know, we need to teach our children yeah. to cook again. It needs to be a fundamental life skill that they learn. So you, you know, you had a mother who was very keen to promote that. As you learned to cook initially, was health part of the equation or was it just, I, I want to learn how to feed myself? Yeah, no, so I, it was just because I, I, I was an enthusiastic eater. I loved good food and I just wanted to be able to kind of prepare the things that I enjoyed eating. I wasn't health conscious at all until, until that moment, really. I mean, I would... I'd be like making all sorts of weird burger concoctions, strange um, curries with God knows what in them. It, it wasn't it wasn't a pretty sight often. So, you know, even at fifteen, you know, I think back to myself at fifteen. I'm not mm. sure how, you know, how health orientated I was yeah. at that time. If I, if I'm honest, yeah. um, you know, I, I think I was into working out. I think I used to mm. buy Men's Health when it came out, and I yeah. used to look at the workouts and yeah. try and do them all, all that yeah. kind of thing. But you know, as a 15-year-old boy, you said something really key there. Well, a, you know, a teenager, really, that your friend's mother gave you a book mm. that initially you were probably a little bit sceptical about yeah. because, you know, what, what's what I, what I eat got to do yeah, with my yeah, skin, yeah. right? But do you remember what it was in that book that you read that you thought, oh, I wonder if I can change my diet to improve my skin? I, I'm not sure if I can sort of recall like a specific chapter or whatever. I think it was just the general tone of it. And the general tone of it was that the modern diet is killing us in a, a million and one different ways. I mean, it's very sensationalist. I read it now. It's not It's not one I'd go out and recommend now, but it was, sure. the, it was the catalyst. It made an impact with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was just the tone and the way that it was written. It did kind of give me that 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 wake up call but that paired with the amount of pain that i was feeling like in terms of self-consciousness there was that that desire for you know, a deep desire for change so what did you start to change i i changed things quite drastically overnight i went pretty much vegan straight away i'm not now but i i was vegan for the best part of 20 years on the ba- wow. on the basis of this and then moved over to you know quite a high, a high raw food diet and and then I, I must have read nearly a thousand books before I actually decided to go to university and use myself as a guinea pig extensively. I tried macrobiotic diets. I tried, you know, the raw food diets. Um, Ayurvedic approaches to things. I just tried everything. I just experimented on myself because I, I, I just wanted to experience all of these different things and 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 just look for for keys in all of them. And so, 
you know, this is a theme that I see quite a lot with people who are in the health space and, yeah. you know, trying to promote good health. Uh, I'd probably include myself in that, is that we've often done a lot of these things ourselves. We've often experimented with a whole variety of different approaches mm. to find out what aspects of them work for us. Yeah. When you were experimenting, what outcome were you looking for? Was it all around your skin or were you also looking for more energy, you know, more, you know, better control of weight, all these kind of other factors? Or, or was it really, I don't like my skin, the medications aren't working mm. for it, I want to get it better somehow? Initially, it was just to improve the quality of my skin. But one of the pleasant surprises that I found when I started to change my diet was that everything changed i felt differently i suddenly started to look at things differently i mean obviously what i i didn't realize then was i was nourishing my brain and my nervous system at a better level so the way in which you perceive things and the way in which you actually make judgments based on your perceptions all of that stuff changes when you start to nourish your body better so everything started to improve so i guess I was kind of searching for that holy grail, really. And because, there was, you know, I was still, I was still young and I, I was reading about all these different approaches. And me being the kind of person that I am, I'm so inquisitive, I can't just read something. I need to experience it. I need to know yeah. it inside out, upside down, back to front, left to right. So I would often use those diets on myself so I could recall my own progress on them and, you know, what I found and my, my own experiences. I think that's one of the reasons, Dale, you've, you've been so successful and your books have struck a chord with so many different people is that you have gone and experienced that mm. and you can almost see it from you know the patient or the client or or mm. the or the you know the member of the public's perspective on someone mm. who might be searching for better health yeah. through their diet so i think that's i think that's really important did you see your skin improve when you changed oh, your yeah. diet yeah absolutely and if pretty I, quickly Fairly quickly, yeah, yeah. I mean, for <laughs> to start with, I stopped looking grey. I mean, that was one of the first things. You know, I stopped looking washed out, and then you know, I just know oh, I would still, I'd still get flare ups and stuff now and again, but the duration of them was less, and the severity of them was uh, was much less in comparison to what they used to be. So, I did notice some improvements fairly quickly. You've tried a variety of different diets, yeah. You were probably, I, I imagine, searching for which is the one that's going to yeah. suit me best. Yeah. It's going to clear up my skin and yeah. then, you know, maybe more energy and or, yeah. you know, better cognitive function, all these kind of things. Um, you know, you mentioned that you went vegan and mm -hmm. you were vegan for 20 years, yet yeah. you're not now. Yeah. I think that's, that's something I, I want to sort of go into because vegan diets are all the rage at the moment. Yeah. You know, they're getting a lot of traction on social media. There's lots of documentaries that have mm. come out uh, about yeah. vegan diets and they're proven to be very popular with certain sections of society. Yeah. Having been a vegan for 20 years, you've presumably made the choice not to be anymore. Yeah. I wonder if you could just elaborate on that. What, you know, why did you change? You know, what have you felt since mm. you've stopped being vegan? Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd really love to understand that a little bit more. I guess the, the, the starting point is what, is someone's reason for turning vegan in the first place. If your reason for turning vegan in the first place is animal welfare and, and a certain group of ethical standpoints, then there is no discussion. You know, that's purely an ethical decision and none of us can really kind of comment on that. That's and we all respect absolute, that, right? Yeah. But if, if you're kind of looking at it as being this health utopia that it's often pitched as, as like being the answer to absolutely everything, I mean, you'd live forever, then you may end up slightly disappointed. Um 
I actually found initially when I when I was in my twenties, particular, I really really thrived on it. You know, I I I felt wonderful. I looked wonderful. I had so much energy. My weight was always like an even keel. It suited me very very well. Then I hit about thirty or thirty two, and all that changed. I suddenly started ballooning. I was getting really bad inflammatory disorders and all sorts of issues. Um, you know, I remember, I remember one time having CRP levels checked, and it was like through the roof. And, so for um, those of you listening not familiar with that, CRP is a marker in our blood of inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not that specific. It can be many different conditions, many different yeah. uh, things can cause your CRP to be up, yeah. but it's just a marker of inflammation. Yeah, and uh, so many things started to go wrong. And I was like, what on earth is going on? And then for the first time in, in like the best part of 20 years, I started getting uncontrollable cravings for animal protein. And then I, I you know, I... I started to shift more towards like a like a, a, a paleo type diet ish a lower carbohydrate higher protein higher fat um sort of diet and i kind of got back to where i was before you know my, my weight normalized my energy went through the roof the first time i had some animal protein after all that time it's it's yeah it's like i went into orbit it was crazy and um yeah it just it just seemed the the, the thing that suits me now and i think we do we do go through different cycles in our life where our nutritional requirements change yeah you know, as we go through different life I, stages I think that was such a such a key point and it's something i i write about extensively in my book the four pillar plan i i talk about that you know our nutritional requirements may change throughout life. A yes. bodybuilder may have different nutritional requirements from a, a pregnant mother, yes, for example. 100%, 100%. And it sounds that, from what you're saying, that in your 20s, a vegan diet, and I think we've got to clarify what sort of vegan diet it was because... It was a whole food vegan diet. A whole food vegan diet. Very so, good, yeah. So yeah. really what you would still consider now to be a healthy, you yes. know, whole food diet because it's very easy to be a junk food vegan oh, yeah, um, absolutely. you know crisps like and crackers and chips. Yeah, yeah exactly which all come under the vegan uh, sort of you know they, they all qualify as vegan yet they wouldn't necessarily be what we all consider to be healthy foods yeah. you were having a healthy whole food vegan diet mm -hmm. and it seemed to suit you and your lifestyle in the context of what you were doing in your yeah. 20s but there came a point when you didn't feel that it was so much so you start looking for Oh yeah, my, my my health was obviously declining, and it was it was declining quite significantly, and um, it was yeah that was that was that was the key, just making that that small change. I mean, obviously when I started kind of using all of these different diets and experimenting with them, I didn't have any formal training in nutrition then. Right at the start, this, yeah. this was this was like right at the start of the journey, and um, now that I've kind of gone and, and got that formal training, I can start to fill in the blanks a lot more. And um, but interesting, you've got a lot of benefit even without formal training oh yeah absolutely and the important thing is because the kind of work that you and i do and we're working with members of the public and we're working with people that often haven't got that kind of background in nutrition they may have read an article about something they may have read a book about something and start to do these things based on that it's our job to be able to guide them in as responsible a way as we can and i think if if i've kind of experienced all of those diets the ins and the outs and have that understanding i'm in a better position to guide them than someone who's never even looked at it, who's just, you know, in some sort of ivory tower, wagging a finger. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. I would argue that you're in a, in a better position than most because not only do you have the educational training, you've also got years of practical, real-life experience. Yeah. And I think we lose that sometimes. You know, we... You know, there's such talk now about how we responsibly influence on social media. Yes. Um, and of course, I agree with responsible influencing, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think we need to be very careful that, 
you know, one of the benefits of social media is that, you know, people can have all this accessible free information that's given to them in a way yeah. that they possibly couldn't 20 years ago. Yeah. If we start to police that, you know, we then end up in a very similar situation to what we used to have, which is you can only get your nutritional information from one source, yeah. right? Whether the source was, you know, we can argue about that, you know, <laughs> yeah. about, you know, you know, what people think of nutritional guidance. Yeah. But, you know, maybe the guidance that's put out for the general population doesn't suit an individual. Yeah. And so I think I, I don't mind so much this room where there are different people saying different things. I know it gets confusing for people, but yeah. I still think this is better than a situation where social media doesn't exist and we only get one narrative from one particular organisation. Yes, I, I agree, I, 100%. I think 100%. That, and that's where, you know... Yeah, I do think it's a mixed blessing. I mean, the, the good thing about it is the fact that it's got so many more people switched on to the fact that our diet is important. Exactly. And that what we eat is actually has the, the capacity to make real significant, meaningful change in our lives. I do sometimes take issue when these things are aesthetically driven. You know, it's like yeah. someone, someone, someone's got this lovely long flowing hair and a bikini body and they're sitting there with yoga pants and an avocado and it's just like, well, eat this and you can look like me. That ain't going to happen. That's not what it's about. But when there's kind of messaging that's that's actually inspiring people to make positive change to their to their lifestyle, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, it, it is a bit bizarre that nutrition's kind of got weirdly entwined with fashion. That's, that's something that still confuses the life out. I've probably never thought it would happen, yeah, right? How, when you, how when the you two have met. What well, did you train to be a chef? Was it again self-taught? I didn't train to be a chef. All my formal training has been in nutrition. I, I just worked every job in the um, in the catering industry, from pot wash right through to running kitchens. I think there's a lot to be said for that, Dale. Yeah. You know, I think we have put so much emphasis on formal training that yeah. some things like nutrition, which yeah. can be intuitive in so many ways, and for for years yeah. people. Um, or cooking, which has been just handed down through generations. Cooking's you know. an art. It's, exactly. it's an art. And I think it's one of those things like people, you, you either have a, have a flair for it or you don't. With nutrition, it's, it's, it's a very academic subject. It's, it's, you know, a biochemical pathway is a biochemical pathway and it's influenced by, you know, a certain amount of variables and you can kind of learn that and you can kind of learn the nuances around that. But with cooking, sometimes you can you can teach people everything in the world, and they it's just not their thing. But so you have to kind of work with where they're at to try and try and fit the information and advice with you know, where their capabilities lie. At least it's like being able to draw or paint. I see it very much as a as equally as creative as as, as music or drawing or painting. Hundred percent. Del, one thing I think you've done so incredibly well is marry up your personal experience mm. uh, with someone who had some health concerns who improved them through changing their diets mm. with their own personal experience as a chef. Mm. But then also you have gone out and got that nutrition training yeah. and you've sort of blended it all together, <laughs> mm. which is why I think your books have proved to be so popular. So what I'm interested in is, is you've written many different books mm. In some of your recent books, you have been very sort of condition-specific. Yeah. You've spoken about how to eat for type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. how to eat for anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. how to eat for heart disease. Yeah. I, don't want to, I really want to delve deep here because <clears throat> I'd love to understand we've got some general healthy eating principles yes. which we can talk about that are probably applicable to everyone. Mm. 
But then you've also managed to sort of delve into some specific conditions yeah. and sort of emphasised what additional things they might need to do or they might wish to try yes. to help improve them. And I wonder if you could just... Because there's a bit of a difference there. Generally mm. healthy eating advice versus condition-specific advice. Yes. This is, I mean, this is where you can go down quite a fascinating rabbit hole. I mean, yeah. well, Let's fasc- do it. Fascinating <laughs> for us too. I mean, sometimes I want to glaze over, but it's the thing is, as you rightly said, there's there's certain things that will be applicable to everyone in terms of general principles for for healthy eating. You know, moving over to low glycemic carbohydrates, good quality protein sources. Com, you know the the composition of the meals, the type of fats that you include, and the kind of fats you throw out. All of those kind of things are relevant to everyone, but. When you're battling certain health issues or when you're having to self-manage particularly certain health issues, there are certain dietary nuances that can become relevant to you. So in the heart disease book, for example, there is a real key focus on the management of inflammation. You know, so we're talking about things like omega-3, omega-6 ratios because of, you know, PGE expression. So obviously the... You know, to sort of backtrack on that, the essential fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6, they're the metabolic building blocks for several different things in the body. One of the main ones being prostaglandins, series 1, series 2 and series 3. Series 1 and 3 being natural anti-inflammatories that our body produces, series 2 being one that switches inflammation on. And the kind of fats that you eat can manipulate which group of prostaglandins get expressed at what rate. And that then has a knock-on effect on the inflammatory response. And really, with cardiovascular disease, when you kind of backtrack the whole pathophysiological process, be, you know, before the, you get the foam cells, before you get the fatty streak, before you get any of those kind of arterial lesions, the initial thing is inflammatory damage to the endothelium. So you're kind of heading things off at the past there. Yeah, I love this. So let's, let's just sort of um, go in deep here. But just for people listening, just to be really, really clear... We're talking about heart disease, and we know that at the root cause of heart disease is a condition called chronic inflammation. Now, I know many of you listening to this probably already know this, but I know we're getting new listeners all the time to this podcast, so I think it's really important that I explain inflammation. We've got acute inflammation, which is a good thing, okay? If we cut our leg, for example, and it starts to bleed, you know, our body sends lots of inflammatory chemicals you know to the site to help uh, to help us heal from that insult you know for a few days that area will be inflamed and everything will slowly return back down to normal when inflammation becomes problematic is when that acute inflammation can become chronic and unresolved so every day we are insulting our body in such a way that our body thinks it's under attack and therefore it constantly releases markers of inflammation. So Dale's talking about, you know, inflammation as one of the big root causes of the development of heart disease and how we can manipulate certain things in our diet to switch off inflammation. Mm. So Dale, you mentioned fats, you mentioned omega-3, omega-6 fats. I wonder if we could just sort of break it down for people listening. What are those fats? Mm -hmm. What foods are they found in? And what, you know, can they possibly start doing in their life right now potentially yeah. to start you know reducing inflammation and therefore reduce their risk potentially of getting chronic inflammatory conditions such as heart disease okay so the omega-3 fatty acids and the omega-6 fatty acids these are what are referred to as essential fatty acids meaning that we need to actually get them from our diet every single day our body can't manufacture them there you can almost view them as being a vitamin-like substance that's derived from certain fats that we find in, the, in our foods. The thing that we really need to be aware of, though, is our need for these, in terms of the amount, 
of these different fatty acids varies drastically. Omega-3 and omega-6, we need both every single day, but our need for omega-6 is very, very tiny. When we, you know, that small amount that we need, it's involved in regulating certain neurological responses, for example, that we know that it's involved in neurotransmitter production. Very, very small, finite amount that we need. And the pathway that kind of deals with it and, and, and regulates it and, and prepares it and breaks it down can be very, very easily saturated. So if we take in more than we need every single day, it can't enter its normal healthy pathway that it's, that it's needed for. And it gets shuttled down a different pathway. Now, I'll leave that. I'll park that there for a second and go back to omega-3. Omega-3, on the other hand, we need a lot more of because it's, it has such um, a ubiquitous function in the body. It's involved in regulating the health of the cell membranes, uh, particularly the myelin sheath within the nervous system, the health of the eyes. It's involved in, in regulating certain aspects of what white blood cells do. And it, a real key thing is it's the building blocks for these things that regulate inflammation, same as the omega-6 is. And one of the key differences, the key things we need to focus on is how much of each we take in. So the first thing that I say to people is reduce your omega-6. So one of the main things these fatty acids turn into are these communication compounds called prostaglandins. Okay, Prostaglandins will regulate several things like the pain response, but the, mo the, the most prominent thing that they regulate is the inflammatory response. Three main types of prostaglandin, a series one, series two, series three. Series 1 and Series 3 actually reduce inflammation in the body. They turn it down, with Series 3 doing it to quite an aggressive extent. A Series 2 prostaglandin, on the other hand, actually switches on and exacerbates the inflammatory response. Different fatty acids are metabolised to form different types of prostaglandin. So you're saying the different fats that we take yes. in with we'll, our mouth will, will actually influence different biochemical pathways. Absolutely, 100%. Incredible. So the omega-3 fatty acids, omega-3 isn't just one substance, it's a family of fatty acids, but the ones that we need to worry about really are EPA and DHA, but there's also another one called ALA. So where do we get it, these omega-3 fats from? From oily fish. That's the, one, oily of the best, fish. one of the best sources, because in oily fish, the EPA and the DHA are already preformed. EPA and DHA can feed directly into those pathways, into those pathways that form the prostaglandins. Now, EPA gets converted over into that very, very aggressively anti-inflammatory Series 3 prostaglandin, and DHA can form the Series 1 prostaglandin. So uh, the real take-home there, omega-3, anti-inflammatory. Now, omega-6, on the other hand... Once we've taken in that small window, that tiny amount that we need that's actually involved in neurological health, and that pathway is saturated, any excess that's there gets shuttled down another pathway, turns into something called arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid turns into series 2 prostaglandins, which switch on and exacerbate inflammation. Now, the type of fats that you're taking in on a day-to-day -day basis can influence to what degree these responses are taking place and can influence what, what, which one of those pathways is more active than the other. So one of the things that I say to people is tone down the omega-6. If you have things like margarine, vegetable oil, sunflower oil, anything like that in your house, what you need to do right now, walk up to the cupboard where it's stored, take it out, open the bin, drop it in there and never go near it again. Instead, move over to some, something like olive oil or now and again a little bit of coconut oil. Don't go mad with that either. That's a different set of problems. But 
Olive oil, the most dominant fatty acid in there is omega-9. When we were told to move over to these, you know, quote-unquote heart-healthy vegetable oils because they didn't contain the saturated fat, we created far more issues for ourselves because those oils are predominantly composed of omega-6 fatty acids. And because we've shifted over to those kinds of fats, we're taking in up to 23 times more omega-6 per day than we actually need in the wow. UK. And omega-3... On the other hand, we're not getting anywhere near enough. So step one is reduce your intake of, of, of the omega-6. Step two is up the intake of the omega-3 by adding more oily fish to the diet and then even looking at um, omega-3 supplementation as well. When you do that, what you're doing essentially is manipulating those biochemical pathways. You're influencing the expression of prostaglandins. Now, the knock-on effect there is you start to bring chronic inflammatory issues down. Yeah, and I've, I've seen this in practice. You know, when you start to you know, change the flavour of the diet so it's more anti-inflammatory yeah. rather than pro-inflammatory. Yeah. You know, I've seen all kinds of problems, all you know, whether it's blood markers, but yeah. certainly people's well-being, even pain levels yeah. of people who've got arthritis yeah. so, or some forms of arthritis, yeah. their pain goes down. It's just absolutely incredible. Dale, I, I'm, I'm interested. You were vegan for nearly 20 years. So during that time, <laughs> you would not have had... My fatty acids were in a right state. That was one of the other markers that, that was really, really high. I, I was about 70% um, omega-6. Oh, so you measured this? Oh, yeah, Was yeah, that yeah. on that blood spot, the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the one that, that Professor Gordon Bell at the University of Sterling, they do a lot of the testing with it. So you did that, you saw your ratio. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and it was... Uh, um, it was quite scary. So when you changed and started to bring in that uh, sort of more omega-3 rich mm. fats, you know, more fatty fish into mm. your diet compared to 20 years without, I appreciate you would have made other changes as yeah. well. So oh, it's very yeah. hard to there just say, changes, I yeah. changed this yeah. and then I felt, you know, differently. But do you know, as you made those changes from being a healthy vegan to a healthy, you know, whole food, um, you know, eating healthy whole foods, but with some healthy animal products in there, what differences did you feel? Honestly, I felt I, I, I felt like 10 years younger. I think that's probably the best the best way to kind what, of like it. of energy? It. Yeah, and also my, my response to exercise changed drastically. I was always a skinny little run. I, I couldn't put on any kind of muscle at all whatsoever. It didn't matter what I did. I mean, I was never really strong enough to kind of do a great deal of, of hard exercise either. But when I moved back over to this kind of diet... I started responding much better to exercise, you know, in terms of like muscle growth and shape, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I've got deltoids. It's wow. like the first time in my life there's a so, deltoid. So you felt it's a difference like, when yeah. you change your diet. So, yeah. guys, I just want to add here that, you know, this topic can be quite emotional for people. And as Dale said right <laughs> at the start, if people are making choices for environmental reasons, for ethical reasons, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Dale's not saying anything about that at all. He's oh, sharing no, his own it. personal experience, what yeah. he found. <clears throat> and I've got to say, you know, I've seen this a lot with many of my patients, but there are people out there, you know, and Rich Roll is probably someone who comes to mind. Mm. Um, he's, you know, he's an ultra endurance athlete in America. He turned his life around when he went vegan. And yeah. he seems to be someone who thrives on a vegan diet. And so I just want to say that I don't believe there is one true diet for everyone. Different people Great. seem to respond to different things. And, you know, Dale's sharing a personal experience, but I, I will go into more about what you what you say in your books to help, yeah, help the yeah. wider public. <clears throat> so heart disease, you've talked about, you know, switching off inflammation. Yeah. You've talked about omega-3s, omega-6 fats yeah. and how we want to reduce 
maybe how much omega-6 were taken in, yeah. increased the amount of omega-3s, yeah. which you would recommend come from fatty fish. Yeah. What would you say to vegans or vegetarians who say, yeah, I, I, I get it, I understand what you're saying, but I just can't do it. I, I don't want to have it. Supplement. You can you get a say. supplement that's derived from algae now that is um, EPA and DHA. So yeah. you can you you can still get those fats and you can still do the same thing. Still take the first step with like reducing the omega six rich oils. So when you the oils that you cook with, just move over to a good quality olive oil because there's not really much omega six in there. It's mostly omega nine, oleic acid, and um, take that supplement. You can do right. you can re- achieve exactly the same end. Well, that's a that's yeah. a that's a great tip, Dale. Um, what else was the heart disease book focused on? Another focus was on low glycemic diets. Now, yeah, this, this, is, another, this is another one of these rabbit holes. Uh, a low glycemic diet, one of the big problems that we have in the, in the Western world now is that so much of our diet is, is composed of, like, beige refined starchy carbohydrates. You know, I eat carbohydrates every day. I'm not, I'm not scared of carbs in the slightest. But the type that we're eating and the amount that we're eating, i.e. the macronutrient composition of our diet, has skewed quite drastically. And that's caused a whole slew of different problems. But... The, the issue with those kind of foods is that they release their energy very, very quickly. They raise our blood sugar very, very fast and to a, you know quite a high degree. Now, if your diet's generally good and you, you get a, a big blood sugar spike, the first thing your body does is just release insulin. Insulin binds to an insulin receptor. Glucose transporter opens on your cell. The additional glucose comes in. You use it as energy. Blood sugar goes back down to a normal range. Bob's your uncle, it's dealt with. But if you're continually assaulting your blood sugar and continually carpet bombing it with these kind of refined foods, then quite a lot of things start to break down over time. Now, obviously, that, that initial response will still take place. You'll still secrete insulin but increasing amounts of it and your your cells will start to take up this this kind of excess glucose but our cells have got a cutoff point if we have too much glucose in the cell it can cause severe oxidative damage so the cell will close its doors to glucose once it's full if that happens and our blood sugar is still high then quite a lot of other things start to start to go on one of the first things that happens is that excess gets sent to the liver and gets converted over into something called triacylglycerol otherwise known as triglycerides which is uh a means for your body to store that energy for a rainy day. Now, this is built into our genetics. This is how we were designed to function. You think when we were kind of living on the plains and all the rest of it, we had times of feast or famine. So we had this ability to store energy for later for those times of famine, but we never get into a time of famine in, in, in the modern world. Famine so, ain't here anymore, is yeah. it? Well, for, certainly for us here yeah. in, in the West. Certainly, yeah. And we're, we're kind of constantly stimulating the um, you know that, that response to feast. So... That excess sugar gets converted into triacylglycerol, otherwise known as triglycerides. Now, with diabetes and stuff, we can we can sort of talk about that when we come to that. But in 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 the context of cardiovascular health, why does this even matter? Well, several things. Firstly, the high glycemic diet, where you're constantly pushing um, insulin up, you're stimulating an enzyme in the liver called HMG-CoA reductase. Right, here we go, down the rabbit hole. HMG-CoA reductase is an enzyme, uh, a very, very prominent enzyme in the manufacture of cholesterol. Uh, you know, it, it goes What's on... the and, enzyme that... One of the enzymes that statin, statin drugs yeah, target. reductase inhibitors, aren't they? Yeah. They actually sort of knock that out. And, it, you know, it produces something called mevalinate, and then you get all these other different different steps, the end product being cholesterol. But it's a really decisive enzyme. If, if this enzyme kicks in, you're going to be manufacturing cholesterol. Insulin spikes stimulate... 
HNG-CoA reductase. So your production of cholesterol goes up. Now, cholesterol isn't in and of itself this harmful substance. There's lots of um, finite differences. Lots of nuance there, there with there cholesterol. Is. It really and, is. And, and the thing is, what, we've, what we're starting to understand is, like, yes, there is this association between you know, high LDL and low HDL being associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease. But it's even more complex than that. It's all to do with the particle size. So with LDL, you can get the very, very small, dense LDL particles, or you can get the large, buoyant ones. The large, buoyant ones, they just kind of bob along like sort of globulous clouds and don't really cause any problem to anyone. They sort of bounce around in the blood vessels without causing damage, but the small, dense ones are like little pellets that start to damage the the, the blood vessel lining and endothelium into the endothelium so as soon as you get that endothelial damage that's when you get that whole cascade of events that kick in that um, eventually leads to an atheroma to the actual plaque within within the, the vessel wall so that's one of the things that we know about high glycemic diets is that it does favour the production of the small dense LDL particle and guys I just want to clarify for people you know you, you may have heard of LDL LDL is what we typically call the bad cholesterol mm. it's a very oversimplified way of looking at cholesterol and looking at LDL cholesterol um, if you are currently getting you know cholesterol or lipid panels done by your doctor certainly on the NHS you will only get total LDL you won't get a breakdown yeah. of how much of it is small dense how much yeah. of it is fluffy uh, and potentially you know not quite as harmful well not harmful really and so I appreciate some of the things we're talking about you may not have access to with your doctor I hope that is going to change at some point in the near future but I think the the point is what Dale's trying to make is you can influence this with your diet yes you can you can get get in the driver's seat and you're saying that if you if we eat foods that are lower in sugar but they're not going to spike our sugar as much so the low glycemic foods you're saying that's going to that can influence particle size so that's the first part of it then the second part I mean obviously using like the LDL and the HDL cholesterol is just one substance there's no there's there's no good or bad cholesterol cholesterol is one single substance but the, the HDL and the LDL refer to the carriers that the cholesterol is actually bound to and I use the analogy of bus routes you know one bus that takes people from town out to the surrounding villages and one bus that bus route that picks people up from the surrounding villages and brings them back into town they're going in two different directions and the um the idea always was that when HDL is raised um more cholesterol is taken from the peripheries and taken back to the liver uh, where it's broken down and recycled. So we know that there, that, that, that there is benefit there, that when when you've got a higher level of HDL in relation to LDL, the picture's slightly better. Then obviously we've got the particle size and all the rest of it. Before, I spoke about excess glucose being converted into triglycerides. One of the things that happens when triglycerides are raised is HDL goes down because the ability of HDL to actually um, bind to, to cholesterol to take it back to the, the liver for recycling becomes impaired in the presence of raised triglycerides. So HDL nat- like expression starts to naturally go down. So you've got a double whammy approach. You've got, you've got a diet that's favouring small dense particle production and you've got one that is pushing down, naturally pushing down HDL. So that simple change as well. And also, going back to the omega-3, omega-3 can reduce triglycerides and raise HDL. So you start to bring these two things together, and you're starting to hit some quite some quite specific metabolic events you know you're you're reducing inflammatory load you're reducing triglycerides you're altering particle size and they're not particularly complex changes to make that's the beauty of it it's not a difficult like end to achieve it really is and and i think the real take home for me is that if 
you are concerned about your cholesterol numbers, let's say. Um, and, you know, a lot of doctors are moving away from the exact numbers, more looking at ratios. So because we can tell a lot more when we look at a ratio of, let's say, your triglycerides to your HDL levels, or, you know, or we, we can look at things like your total cholesterol, your LDL, and how all these play and how, how all these sort of relate to each other. So instead of looking at those individual levels, we can look mm. at those, the balance in the body, which is a I think a little bit more of a holistic way of, of looking at these things. But Dale's saying that the changes he recommends in his book on cardiovascular health is actually going to improve that lipid profile, improve that cholesterol ratio. Mm. I also want to just touch on the thing you said about insulin. And, you know, insulin is a very important hormone. We yeah. need insulin. It, it does a very important job. Well, it does many jobs in the body. One of them is to direct where we store fat and how we store fat. But one thing a lot of people aren't realizing is even before the developments of heart disease or the developments of type 2 diabetes, you know, for many years before that, you can have chronically raised insulin levels. So your body is doing what it needs to do to adapt and it's just pushing up those insulin levels yeah. higher and higher. We know that, you know, that condition, which we call chronic hyperinsulinemia, that in itself has been associated with obesity. It's been associated with levels of VLDL, very mm -hmm. low density lipoprotein. Mm -hmm. That's a particularly harmful form yep. of cholesterol. You know, it helps. You know, that the increased insulin will raise your blood pressure because it increases salt and water retention. There are some studies showing an association between prolonged, you know, between chronically raised insulin and your risk of breast cancer. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting how. You know, just one thing, you know, that, that diets that you're proposing to people to help them reduce their risk of heart disease, actually, you know, because the, the human body's connected, it's it not going to so just be effects. heart yeah, disease, it, is yes. it? It's going to affect other conditions as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And the thing is, with, you know, the diet that's related to cardiovascular health and the diet that would be relevant for someone with type 2 diabetes, they're very, very similar. And a lot of the pathways that they're influencing are very, very similar because there, there tends to be a triad of, of issues like centralised weight gain, type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes and raised cardiovascular disease risk markers. And it's called metabolic syndrome. And it's like, you know, one of the, these these, yeah. these big scourges of, of the Western it, world. It's the same, it's, yeah. it's the same root causes, yeah. right? Yeah. But sometimes it manifests as cardiovascular yeah. disease. Sometimes it manifests as type 2 diabetes. And some people it's both. Yeah. Some people it will manifest as polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yes, right? absolutely. And instead of treating these all as separate diseases, you know, which is often what we're doing in medicine these days, we've got to, you know, go upstream a bit yep. more and go, actually, what is going on at the root yeah. cause? And for many of them, it's pretty similar, which is what you're alluding to. So, Dale, how does this approach change in your book, let's say, where you're trying to help people beat anxiety and depression? I'm, I'm imagining there's a lot of crossover, but there's also going to be a few differences potentially or, or a different focus. There, yeah, there is, there is a different focus. I mean, um, with... With things like the cardiovascular health and type 2 diabetes, diet is a massive part of the intervention. With anxiety and depression, things like that, it becomes a slightly more narrow part of the intervention because obviously there's so many variables that can actually lead to someone having those kinds of issues. You know, external environment, emotional health, all of those things are interlinked because it's a much more complex system in that respect. But Diet and nutrition still does have a role to play because the brain and the nervous system is a physiological system and as such has its own nutritional requirements. But there, there is a focus around omega-3. One of the things that we know about omega-3 fatty acids is that they 
can actually maintain the health of neurotransmitter receptors and also proper functioning of neurotransmitter vesicles. So obviously, you know, to backtrack a little bit on that, with, with the, the, the cells in the nervous system, they don't touch. There's a tiny gap in between them, like the synapse, and electrical impulses are converted into chemical impulses, depending on what the actual impulse is and the, and, and the instruction that it's giving. And that will turn into a, a chemical messenger that jumps the gap, that chemical messenger being called a neurotransmitter. Those neurotransmitters are stored in small vesicles at the end of our one nerve ending comes to the edge of the membrane spits the the neurotransmitter out into the into the synapse and then the receptor for that neurotransmitter on the neighboring neuron detects it and then relays that signal so it's how brain cells are communicating That's with exactly. each other and yeah. you're saying that your diets Ami can improve that omega-3 can improve receptor function so the uh the the ability for the for those receptors to actually detect what the neurotransmitter is telling them but then also making sure that the vesicles that release that neurotransmitter into into the into the synaptic space are actually functioning properly as well so that's one thing but also we know that um i mean this is more in longer term neurological health but that anti-inflammatory effect as well like, like sort of long-term um, memory function, for example, there's neuroinflammation has been linked to memory decline, even though that's a slight offshoot. But okay. the, the point is, there's lots of very, very broad roles for uh, omega-3 fatty acids in in the nervous system. Also, the myelin sheath. The myelin sheath it's a specialised fatty coating that lines the All neurons. Your nerves, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's it's presented along the nerve in like little capsules, and there's little gaps in between them where the electrical signal jumps, so it accelerates the movement of the electrical impulse along the the length of the neuron. Omega-3 fatty acids are vital for the maintenance of the, of the myelin sheath. So DHA is one of the key components of the, of the myelin sheath, along with arachidonic acid. Which and is also, one of the reasons people talk about omega-3s being very important for brain health. For brain health, exactly. But they also just to, to, they, they help to regulate the, uh, the nodes of Ronvia, which are those little gaps between the myelin. It helps to, to make sure that they stay healthy as well. So that's just one thing, omega-3. So it's quite interesting that omega-3s actually are a, a prominent, they, they play a prominent role in your... You know, and, and the sort of treatment or the dietary approach you would recommend for yeah. heart disease, type two diabetes, yeah. and anxiety and depression. They, they are they are very ubiquitous, and this is this is the fascinating thing. They, I mean, they're this, fundamental they, to the human body, right? Are, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they they they're such an integral part of our membranes in every single cell. So that's 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 the kind of level it gets well, down. What are to. some of the other things for anxiety and depression? If, if someone's listening to this yeah. and they, you know, and, you know, mental health problems are on the rise at yes, the moment, so there'll be so. many people listening who are suffering with anxiety or depression. I wonder if we can go into maybe some specific foods that they might want to think about so obviously with the omega-3 we've got the oily fish but the other really important group of nutrients for the health of the nervous system particularly in anxiety and depression are the b vitamins yeah because the, the b vitamins are involved in neurotransmitter production you know things like gaba for example um, so that's a, that's a chemical that the brain produces that helps to calm things yes, down yeah, yeah, it's, okay and you're saying that's B vitamins it, can help with that. It can, it can increase GABA, as, as can magnesium. You bring the two things together, a good intake of B vitamins and magnesium. So what, what and can, foods? So whole can, grains. Whole grains, So okay. things like uh, brown rice, pearl barley, lentils and pulses, quinoa as well. There's some reason, reasonable B vitamin hitting those. A lot of the green vegetables are very B vitamin rich, asparagus, all the leafy greens. Just getting really. This is this is the beauty of all of this, and like even though we can go into all of this kind of detail, we can really backtrack and put this into a very very simple 
picture. And uh, the, yeah, this is something we may get on, onto later. We can, we can almost bring it down to three different things. But what um, are those things? Let's see it now. Okay, so, so uh, there was. I remember there was a question you said you were going to ask about one book. If there was one book. Um, yeah, I and said that was, I was going to ask you that, yeah. and I am going to ask you that. Yeah. Well, we could go into it now, you know, because yeah. I think, you know, you're, you're so far, Dale, you, you know, you're giving people hints of how much there is in these books and how yeah. much knowledge you've got and how much you're then putting them into real practical recipes, yes. I think, that people yeah. can use and actually yeah. start cooking for their health yeah. which I think is just it's just absolutely fantastic but you do have so many books so if people want to <laughs> you know people are interested in us go you know I want to check out this yeah, Dale Pinnock guy yeah. I, want to, I want to look up his books okay. where would they start where, where, what would you recommend is the book that they start with I think there's one called The Power of Three The Power of Three yeah. so tell me about that do you want to know something funny I mean, especially considering the title of your book years ago I pitched the title The Three Pillars to my publisher did you yes and they said no <laughs> um, basically I, I, with all of this all of these kinds of things time and place I know, I know I mean that's about five or six years ago now um you can boil it down to three main things because the question I get asked all the time and I just imagine you do is with all of this conflicting information what is the ideal diet what's the perfect diet we should eat and any of us that have got any kind of scruples should turn around and say we haven't got a clue we've got absolutely no idea but what we do know is a lot of the ways in which our modern diet is destroying our health so if we do the opposite we're probably hedging our bets and all of this stuff we've been talking about is relevant to these three things and if you bring these three things into practice you're hedging your bets it's not going to be any kind of guarantee of being a perfect diet in any way, shape or form, but it's hedging your bets in a wise and informed way. Those three things are blood sugar balance, fatty acid balance and nutrient density. So we've talked about blood sugar balance, the influence that can have on you know, things like triglycerides and you know different inflammatory responses. Fatty acid balance, we spoke about that earlier on, how that can influence chronic inflammation. Chronic and inflammation is relevant to almost every degenerative disease. And heart health and brain yeah, health, yeah, all these things yeah, with omega-3s yeah, and fatty acid yeah, balance, yeah. Exactly. And then the, the final thing, micronutrient density, the nutrient density. For a lot of people, we're, we're in the ping and ding generation, do you know what I mean, where it's like ready meals and uh, convenience foods. And this isn't trying to, you know, sort of demonise anything or anyone or telling people they're, they're wrong or daft or doing, the, doing stupid things, but just trying to get back to more fresh, wholesome food cooked f from scratch because of the micronutrient density, so, so the vitamins and the minerals. I mean, because what we have to have to realise about micronutrients, the, the vitamins and the minerals and uh, trace elements, those kinds of things, is that they are they're, they're biochemical facilitators. They, they either make something happen or they make something that makes something happen. That's what that's what vitamins, minerals, and trace elements do. So yeah. they either make something happen themselves, or they're involved in making something that makes something happen. And you, we have a specific need for these nutrients. And if those needs don't get met, both short and long term implications can be really quite severe. You bring those three things together. I love it. Think about how broad an effect that can have on people's health. And it's a very very simple, very simple steps to make. So with a blood sugar balance, we just move over to the the much lower glycemic high fiber whole carbohydrate sources so swap your white bread for brown swap your white pasta for brown swap your white rice for brown so that's the first thing the second thing is reduce overall portion size of those starchy carbohydrates we need them i'm not telling people to go out and do atkins at all but drop the amount to you know at least half that's something that anyone can work work with and then make up the bulk of your meals with non-starchy vegetables bring some good quality protein in and you've got a meal then that takes much longer to digest it drip feeds blood sugar instead of carpet bombs it so that whole insulin curve isn't there 
that's the first thing. Change the kind of oil that you use to cook with. So bin, so bin the nasty refined vegetable oils and just work with olive oil. And then when you're doing really, really high temperature stuff, a little bit of coconut oil now and again is fine. And then make sure that at every meal you've got something fresh. Even if you're just snacking on some fruit between meals, have it a good dense side salad. Is with this each for the meal. micronutrients? For the micronutrients. Yeah, guys, yeah. just a key point there. You know, we the the, the, the conversation around food often gets polarised into being about fat versus carbs, mm. which I think is a little bit myopic. And but just a terminology check for you guys: macronutrients are when we're talking about fat, protein, and carbohydrates. We're talking about micronutrients, which Dale is talking about, one of his three pillars, as it were. Um, talking about those vitamins and minerals and those trace elements that you get, you know, from that yeah. whole fresh food. And I guess it's something we're seeing a lot now, aren't we, Dale? You know, the advent of highly processed food, mm -hmm. ready meals, eating on the go quickly. Often, these meals and these foods are energy dense, but they're, you know, they're depletes yes. of those micronutrients. Yes. You know, so we are. You know what is it? We're we're sort of overfed over and undernourished. Exactly, yeah. um, which is just remarkable. And so to think that you know we've got you know an obesity crisis. Yeah. We're taking on, we, you know, we're, we're storing too much energy. Yeah. Um, yet we're 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 missing micronutrients. Yeah. These yeah. you know we're just not getting enough. So those are great tips there. And actually, it reminds me, reminds me of I think not last September. I think September before that at the Royal Society of Medicine. It was a Food yes, as Medicine conference yes. and you were invited there as a speaker. You you gave a live cooking demo to mm. the whole audience of doctors and I think there was a whole variety of healthcare mm. professionals there and I think it was a I think it was a wild salmon dish from recollection actually but with, with a coconut doll, yeah. Yeah, you, you cooked to that and I thought, well I've got, I've got to have that. So I, I managed to find which room you were in yeah, and come and say yeah, hi. Yeah. I managed to, you know, help help myself to those leftovers which were yeah. absolutely fantastic and is, is that a recipe in one of your books by any chance um it's a combination of um three different different recipes yeah well it was superb so i can, oh, I can attest to, to the quality of that certainly for the taste buds the health benefits yeah. but also the taste buds I, all of that's got to come together because yeah, it does doesn't thing, it yeah the thing is i mean you could have the healthiest diet in the world if it is as boring as anything if it's you know equated to reading the phone book in the rain then no one's going to stick to so it. So what would you say to those people who say, you know what, I get all that about healthy eating, Dale, but you know what? Healthy eating just doesn't taste very good. Try my food and then you'll never say that again. Love <laughs> Honestly, it. It's, it's the truth because... I agree I, with you. I, yeah, I, I, covered, I, I covered it from the point of view as like a, an absolute foodie and a chef as well. Um, and those two worlds have got to come together. Food is a wonderful celebration of all things good. I love a good meal, you know, some good wine, good conversation. All of that stuff is food for the soul. And we, we should. So you can do both. Yes, we shouldn't neglect that. If you can understand how to bring those two worlds together... You know, so you're nourishing yourself physically, but you're also nourishing yourself like emotionally and, um, you, know, you know, I don't want to get all esoteric, but, you know, kind of spiritually as well. I mean, all of these things are. Sharing a meal with, like, you know, a friend that you've not seen for five years. It's one of the best things ever. It's an, it's an important able, part yes. of food, right? And we, yeah. we, I think we're missing that part of food in terms of how, how culturally relevant it is, how it's something we do every day, how mm. sharing a meal with friends has so many other benefits. Yeah. You know, helps us enjoy the food, probably helps us eat a bit less. Yeah. Um, but there's just so much around food that we have just... You know, we've, just, we've moved away from. We've moved away from our desks all the time, and although you look at a lot of the blue zones, that's one characteristic that they all share. Whether it's the Okinawans, whether it's the Koreans, they all share meal they will have that heightened sense of community and togetherness yeah and they're one of the recommendations i make in in my book the four pillar plan one there's a chapter on this on 
you know, try and sit around a table one, at least once a day if yeah. you can in company yeah. to eat a meal. And it's something that was born out of my experience on those BBC documentaries, Doctor mm. in the House, when I would go around these families around the country and I would see so many of oh, them yeah. never ate a meal together. Yep. And I found that when I made that recommendation, the knock-on effects, yes, with, in terms of their diet, but also their relationships yeah. and how people say, I feel closer to my partner now because we're conversing, yeah. we're getting to know things about each other that we used to just sit on our phones and do our emails yeah. whilst we were eating, yeah. right? It's just incredible how far we've come from maybe just 30, 40 years yeah. ago. But Dale, you know, just to, f- to sort of finish off, there's a couple of areas I want to touch on. One is that you've got a brand new ITV series coming out soon. I mean, this yeah. is a, you know, this is the second series. Second you did this series, last yeah. year. Eat, shop, save. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the concept behind this is incredible to help families that want to eat healthier but are struggling, whether it's financial reasons, yeah. whether someone's a fussy eater, they're sort of pressed for time. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of things that people listening to this podcast are struggling with themselves. Exactly. So what can from. people... You know, what are they going to learn if they watch this show? And again, I'll put links in the yeah. show notes, you know, dotschashi.com forward slash Dale. We'll put all these links there. What what are people going to learn? So they, the, the, the beauty of the show is that we're able to really give simple, practical tips. It's got to be the most simple recommendation that can make the biggest amount of difference. And in every single one of those situations, we found solutions. We worked with the families with where they were at. So none of it is kind of superficial that... that, that, that isn't applicable to anyone we worked with their own unique set of circumstances and showed them how they could work around it so if you're pressed for time for example you can batch cook if you have like a spare like half a day on a sunday cook some of your favorite dishes but in four five six seven times the amount you normally would freeze them in individual portions and then you've you've stockpiled your own healthy ready meals for the for the week or for the month, and they film you doing all this, and they're oh, yeah, going to yeah. see all so, that. So, yeah, we do we do all of that um, for for fussy eaters. Oh, we've we've had some great ones. I mean, on the last series, we had um, a little girl that wouldn't wouldn't eat any vegetables. I mean, she was partial to a chicken curry or uh, chicken dippers or things like that. So we started with a chicken curry. It's like right, okay, this is what we need to do. It was just she had a, a barrier towards trying something new. Yeah. Yeah, when she finally did, she was she she was great, but that was her her thing. She had this barrier, so we made a curry. But what I did was actually make what was essentially a very very thick sweet potato soup. So garlic, red onions, sautéed down. Then the sweet potatoes went in vegetable stock, pureed it up, then added cumin, ground coriander, turmeric, a little bit of garam masala to that, and then cooked the chicken in that. So it looked and tasted a bit like a restaurant korma. Wow. You know, a million miles away from like a traditional korma, and I don't want to kind of uh, insult the culinary geniuses that can create those, but it was like a restaurant korma. That was she, she surprised? That she, was, that she was happy to eat. And she was like, this curry's lovely, doesn't it? And halfway through, it's like, you're eating sweet potatoes. And she was like, sweet potatoes taste like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to just, you don't have to have a plate of steamed broccoli. You know, jazz it up, give it some flavour, bring it to life. For the ones with a lack of skill in the kitchen, or once one of my favourites is like when they're they're just really resistant to any kind of change. They know they that they need to actually make improvements because their health is failing, but they're just so resistant to to, to change. And as we you know we we kind of touched on earlier, they think that the healthy food is going to be really really boring. So what we do there is like right, what's your favourite meal? And if they say pizza, it's like excellent, let's make one. Wow. It's just like, you know, you, who said you have to give up pizza? I didn't say that. It's like, let's make one. So what we do, we go to the supermarket. I mean, sometimes we take them shopping as well. Go go around the supermarket and you get one of the uh, ready-made, um, ready, ready-to-go 
bread packet mixes, like a multi-grain bread. Just add water to it, roll it out, and you've got like a nice whole wheat pizza base. Make it nice and thin. Maybe put some spinach on there, some red onion, a little bit of goat's cheese, those kinds of things. You're getting the same culinary experience. You're getting to eat the food that you're already enjoying. We're just showing you ways to give it a facelift. I love it. You're meeting people where they're at as well. You know, it has to be. You're not coming in and saying this is the perfect diet you know what you're doing i get why you're doing it but we've got to switch you to this now you're meeting them where they're at going right let's let's make what dish you are currently having a lot healthier and a lot tastier yeah which which is just incredible it also reminds me of something that michael pollan once said um and again i may be slightly misquoting him but he said something about you can eat whatever you want as long as you make it and his point was if you're gonna eat you know, a cake or ice cream or a pizza. Why not make it? Because he, I think, feels that by making it, you start to get that connection to the food. You start to probably put a lot better ingredients in it than if you bought it ready-made. You can control what's in there. Exactly. And I've always kind of liked that one. You know, eat what you want as long as you... As long as you make, make it yourself, it. and that's yeah. kind of what you're, you're saying. You want to eat a pizza? Is, yeah. Fine. Let's make a healthy pizza. Yeah. And also just teaching them what like the distinctions and what's making it healthier in the first place. Another popular one has been um, spaghetti bolognese. So it's like okay, so we're going to use whole wheat spaghetti. We're just going to have slightly less of it, and we're going to bulk out the ragu with fifty-fifty um, the the mince and red lentils. So we increase the fibre, keeps you feeling fuller for longer. You're not going to snack, lowers blood sugar, yada yada yada. We give them all the information. Dave, you know what but, I'm loving about this is that it's 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 practical. It's real life because yes. one thing I've realised over the last few years is that you know. We, we talk about these perfect diets on social mm. media. We talk about what you know, what we'd ideally like everyone to be eating, and yeah, yeah. and I get that. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with promoting that, but I think also you know some people really struggle with that. They sort of look at what they're eating and they look at that and they go, "That is just so far removed from what I'm eating." They don't feel it's relevant to them. So I think mm. what you're trying to do, uh, and I'm really looking forward to watching this series, oh, particularly now that you've told you know told a little bit about what's coming yeah, up is. Yeah. Is, you know, how do you meet people where they're at, real-life people with busy lives, mm. with real problems? How do you then help them sort of move towards a healthier diet? Yeah. So, yeah, that's incredible. Well, from my point of view, that's that's where the help is needed. Do you, I mean, we, we, you know, for, for us, we, 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 we can, we, we've been converts for decades. Yeah. Um, but I, you know that's that's why I work the way that I do because you, the only time you'll make meaningful change is when you actually deliver something that people will actually do. You know the best diet is one that you actually stick to. Yeah. And there's no point telling like you know a family of five that have got fifty pounds to spend between them on food that they've got to be living on you know biodynamic grass-fed unicorn and Himalayan wonga wonga berries from you know, Kensington High Street. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's got like, to make sure it's practical yes, for people. Yeah, it's just like, okay, what have you got in your local area? What shops are available to you? How can we make this go further? What tweaks can we make? But then at the same time, don't just say, do this. Teach them why it matters. Yeah. And say, right, you see this ingredient? I've just swapped this for this for this reason, and that's going to help you because. I've swapped this for that. And that information is the stuff that changes lives. Yeah, I agree, Dale. You know, I can't can't resonate with that enough. You know, once you explain to people why you're making those changes, Mm. what it's going to do for them, I find they want to make those changes. I, I genuinely find that patients or you know clients yeah. or members of the public they want to make they want to feel as good as yeah. they can and once we 
help them and show them and say, you know, when you eat a food like this, this is what's happening. This is what happens into your body, yeah. to your hormones, to your cells. Like, really? I didn't know that, doctor. Yeah. You know, I find that's a missing piece of not just telling them what they should be eating or certainly not telling, recommending yeah. or suggesting what they should be eating. Also explaining the why. I, th- I think that really, really helps. And that sort of is a nice segue there into the final thing I want to talk mm. to you about, Dale, which is this new program that you've launched called Nutrition coaching monthly can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that and why you came up with it well i was just getting dozens dozens and dozens of emails week in week out from people that were saying where can i get good quality information about nutrition i want to learn more i don't want to i don't want to be a nutritionist i don't want to go off and do a course i just want to learn more for my own sake for the for the sake of my family it's something i'm really interested in but you know just rely on google or you know magazine articles or whatever it's it's limited and they know that there's mixed quality they know that like some of the stuff is complete nonsense and some of it could be quite good and it's how do they know whether they're on the right track or not and one of the things that i'm very passionate about is teaching the subject and talking about the subject i mean once i get started it's quite difficult to get me stopped and um it just kind of dawned on me that that with with the kind of technology that we've got available to us as well there's room to actually be able to deliver lectures as if I was standing there like giving lectures to people but deliver it online so what 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 we've built is this platform where every month there'll be um a different lecture and we go into detail you know there there is no there is no mucking about but it's delivered in a way it's relevant for the layperson it's not necessarily geared towards health professionals it's for everyday people that want to learn more about nutrition people listening to this right now who want to know a bit more about nutrition they can go and sign up for your course. Yeah, so it's just on my website. It's on dalepinnett.com. You'll see online programs on there, and it's just, just off of that that you can get onto it. And it's it's delivered like a um, PowerPoint presentation style with me with me teaching live. So there's obviously like a, a live chat feature on there as well. So whilst the, the teaching is actually being delivered, the students can sort of interact and ask questions. And, and it's it's an open classroom. It's like an open classroom, but it's just delivered online. That's the only That's the only difference. It's like we've been chatting today. It's delivered in that kind of way where everything is explained from the ground up, from the wow. grassroots. And already the people that are in there vary from, you know, high school students through to, um, you know, retirees. And they're, and they're all enjoying it. And no one said, you've scared the life out of me. So it's at the right kind of level, but there is the detail in there. Then once the live session is finished, all of the recording automatically goes into an archive and that archive grows every single month. So you can actually, you've got like your own teaching library there. You can download all the slides and the and the transcript for the So people have got session. this reliable resource yes. to learn more about nutrition and also learn recipes? There's, no, there's not recipes. This is just, this is just the... Just, just teaching just, about... Just teaching about, about the subject, about fantastic. the nutrition. Yeah, because, you know, I've got recipes in other things. It's just, it's a, it's a way for me to be able to teach the subject in a way that I've always wanted to do and wow. um, at a level that people have been crying out for for a long time. So it's come from a, from a need from people yeah, contacting absolutely. you. Uh, that's absolutely incredible. Guys, yeah. you know, like everything that we've spoken about today, they're going to be in the show notes. A link to Dale's course. We're going to put a direct link there at drchastity.com forward slash Dale. So do check out the show notes after this podcast. You can continue your Reading, continue your learning. Um, Dale, that sounds exciting. I wish you all oh, the best you. with that. Dale, just to finish up then, the, the point of this podcast, or one of the points of this podcast, is to help empower people to be mm. architects of their own health. And I always oh, want to leave people with simple tips that they can apply immediately mm. in their everyday life to help improve the way that they're feeling. So okay. I wonder if you could leave my listeners with maybe four 
tips. Okay. Around anything you want. Okay. I'm assuming it's going to be nutrition related. Don't run the scissors. Four key tips that people can think about applying yeah. in their everyday life immediately. Yeah. Um, I think you might be able to guess what a couple of them might be from uh, what we've been talking about. But the first one that I would say, this is this is always my number one tip for anyone that's wanting to make changes, especially for people that are at the beginning of their journey where they've just made that decision that they want to make change in their life. Change one thing, okay? If, like, you just wake up one morning and it's like, right, if, if you've been living on takeaway pizzas and, and, and beer and ready meals... And then you say, like, okay, from tomorrow, I'm just going to be a whole food vegan and change everything. The chances of that actually being successful are, you know, 0.3% probably, because we are not wired like that. Some people are. Some people can just change everything overnight and do okay with it. So what I say is set yourself one challenge. And this could be as simple as, like, okay, with every meal, I'm going to have a good quality side salad with it. Yeah. Okay, I'm now going to snack on fruit between meals or... I'm I'm not going to have the chocolate bars in my desk drawer anymore. So something that one simple. Thing, one it. thing. The thing is, once once you've repeated that a few times and it becomes the norm, then you set your next one. Yeah, and love it. Like, so, okay, what's the next change that you can make? Whilst that might seem like slow progress, when you look back over the space of six or 12 months, your lifestyle would have changed quite drastically because you, you've been making slow, consistent progress towards a better picture. Yeah. There's very, very few of us that can suddenly be like, right, that's it, changing everything overnight. You know, a lot of people do it on January the 1st. But, um, on February the 1st, today, yeah, it's all yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's, just, it's just not practical. When you change one thing and you're just making consistent, slow adjustments to your habits, then you've got a much better chance of actually sticking yeah, to those changes. So, so change one thing. Yeah. Um, so what's the next tip? The next tip is um, swap your white for brown. Okay. okay. So the, the carbohydrate sti staples, staples that are in our diet, like um, bread, pasta, rice, those kind of things, just swap over to the, to the brown varieties over the white because they're not refined. This means they're higher in fibre, so it keeps you feeling fuller for longer. Um, it's good for digestive transit. It's good for feeding the, um, the, the bacterial colony that lives within the gut. Different types of fibre can have some miraculous effects on that. What would you say also, to those people listening who say... Dale, look, I appreciate that, but I've I've actually feel a lot better when I don't have, you know, even brown bread or brown don't, pasta. Don't have it. If, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing, and uh, you know, echoing everything that we that we that we spoke about. If 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 any of that doesn't work for you, if if yeah. you don't feel good, I mean, I don't. That's one of the things that I learned when I you know when I was vegan and went back. And I was putting on lots of weight. I'm quite carbohydrate sensitive. Uh, but also, if I've cut carbohydrates out completely, then I'm no no use to man or beast. I'm a nightmare to live with, and I can't do anything in the gym or any kind of physical activity. So these are just some general yeah. principles, so right? Find, so people finding, can... finding that balance, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the number three would be ditch your vegetable oils. Yeah. Okay. So the, the things like sunflower oil, vegetable oil, corn oil, soy oil margarines, those kind of things, throw them in the bin, never buy them again. Just get a little bit of proper butter and use it use it sensibly. And the oil that you use for cooking, just go over to olive oil because it's not omega-6 dense. It's predominantly omega-9. The omega-9 oleic acid has its own set of benefits as well. Love it. That's so a great that's tip. And final tip? Number four, I would say is, you know, and this echoes what we said about the, about the show as well. Start where you're at. And do what you're happy to do. Don't think that this... Don't put pressure on yourself or think that this is some kind of extreme expectation or something that you should be doing and you're not really enjoying yourself. It's like when you feel good, when you feel healthy, 
you're going to absolutely love it. You're going to, you know, you're going to, it's just going to get better and better. But the easiest segue into that is to actually start with the things that you're really willing to do. So if your favorite meal is pizza, learn how to make a healthier one. If your favorite meal is, is chicken and chips, then learn how to make it better. You know, cook the chicken differently, have sweet potato wedges to throw some greens in there. When you're working with where you're already at, you're still giving yourself that pleasure. Food has to have pleasure attached with it. And we have to be happy doing what we're doing. Otherwise, it's just going to be utter, utter misery. You're going to hate it. You're not going to stick to it. And the chances of there being like rebound negative behaviours are very, very, very high. Dale, look, those, 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 this is a fantastic. And I think so many people listening who may have struggled before to make sustainable lifestyle change, I think will really resonate with those. And, and guys, if, if that's you, I'd encourage you to try and put some of those into practice immediately. Dale, I know often after after the podcast, many people want to interact with me and you uh-huh. online. Where can they find you online? So the website is just dalepinnock.com. It's P-I-N-N-O-C-K. And um, social media? Social media. So on Instagram, it's The Medicinal Chef. Twitter is just Dale underscore Pinnock, but I hardly ever go on there. Um, and Facebook is The Medicinal Chef. Dale, look, I really appreciate your time. I know you're extremely busy, particularly with the launch of this new yeah. course. We're looking forward to the ITV show coming out Thank imminently. You. Thank you, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I hope you can join me again at some point in the future. I'd love to. Yeah, thanks for having me. That concludes today's episode of the Feel Better, Live More podcast. Remember, everything that Dale and I spoke about will be available on the show notes page on my website at drchastity.com forward slash Dale. So do take a look when you can so that you can continue your learning experience now that the podcast is over. Just a few things to mention. I'm absolutely committed to making this podcast the very best that it can be. I really appreciate the love and support you give to it on social media. I'm actually running a survey so that I can understand what you all want more of in the future, what you think of the current formats, what guests you want to see. You know, I want to know what's resonating, what's not working as well as it might work. If you have two minutes in your day and can go to drchastity.com forward slash survey, I'd be incredibly grateful. It's just a series of questions that helps me better understand your views of the podcast. drchastity.com forward slash survey or you can access it via the show notes page, drchastity.com forward slash Dale. Guys, just to let you know, I've got a brand new book coming out at the end of the year called The Stress Solution, The Four Steps to Reset Your Body, Mind, Relationship and Purpose. I announced this publicly last week and absolutely delighted with how many of you have chosen to pre-order the book. So thank you very much for that. Lots of you are still asking me whether my book, The Four Pivot Plan, is available overseas. It's available in a lot of countries now, including the USA and Canada, with a different title, How to Make Disease Disappear. Remember, links to all of these books are available on the show notes page. And finally, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do take a screenshot off the page right now and share it on social media. Let me, let Dale know what you're thinking and we will do our best to get back to you. Thanks for listening today and I hope you can join me next week when the very next conversation in my podcast comes out.